I'm recording this episode the day after the 2018 midterm elections. And political pundits and just regular people interested in politics are trying to interpret what happened, trying to tell a story about what happened. Was it a, a blue wave, a big backlash against the Republicans? Did the Republicans hold their ground? And all this tends to play into bigger stories about history, uh, American history, global history. In general, are things getting better? Are things getting worse? What are our big problems and what are our possible solutions? And when we, when we talk like that, we're always telling stories. We're, we're trying to say, what are, what's the tension? What's going on here? And what needs to happen next? But what I want to do in this podcast, which is part of a series of just reviewing what's in the Bible, is to bring us back to the big story of God and humanity that the Bible tells, that, that big story that the Bible tells. In the last episode, we looked at the central tension in the Bible, uh, the central problem for humanity. And in this episode, we'll take more of a hopeful turn and start to look at God's plan of rescue, how he rescues humanity from the mess that we have dug for ourselves. So again, welcome to the What Does It Mean to Be a Christian podcast. I'm Stephen Kopp. In the last episode, we talked about the central tension of the biblical story. We as humans have rebelled against God, our creator. We wanted to be like little gods ourselves so that we could do what we wanted to, what we pleased. And this rebellion, it turned out, was harmful, incredibly so, both to ourselves and to other people, and even to the world, the physical world in which we live. It brought us into conflict with God's justice. See, we, on one hand, we walked away from God, but not only did we walk away from God, but because God is just, we were actually banished from his presence. And so we came under his judgment, which it turns out is death. In fact, we now live in a world that is marred by the consequences of evil. People hurt and abuse one another. We lie, steal, go to war. People struggle with poverty and sickness. Uh, work for a lot of people is tedious and burdensome and difficult and painful. And maybe most significantly, we are alienated from God and we suffer and we die. And it looks like evil and death sort of rule the world in many ways. And all this, according to the Bible, stems from our core problem, which I said before is a desire to have things our way and to do things our way instead of in trusting our Creator to provide for what we need. And this rebellion, as we talked about last week, started with two people, Adam and Eve, but it didn't end there. Evil only increased, and the world just gets worse and worse, and it climaxes right before the story of Noah. And in that story, it says people's hearts were just evil all the time. But in the story of evil, we also begin to see the story of God's rescue, and so let's take a minute to look at Noah. On the one hand, the story of Noah is a story of God's judgment. Everyone turns to violence and corruption. It really must have actually been a pretty terrible time to be alive. And things were so bad that God actually decided to wipe out humanity. He regretted that he had created humanity. 
except he finds one good person whose name is Noah. And so, God decides to rescue humanity in Noah. He tells Noah to build an ark. And Noah is a man of faith, and so he does exactly that. And then he gets his family to go onto the ark. And so when God brings the floodwaters and brings the floods over the earth, um, Noah is saved from the judgment. Humanity kind of gets a new start, and God makes a promise to, to Noah that he's never going to flood the world again. Even though he knows people are going to continue to evil, he's not going to wipe them out like that again. So we get a fresh start. Good. God has rescued us. He's rescued humanity in Noah. But in fact, Noah messes up, and so does one of his sons. And so it doesn't take long for evil to rear its ugly head once again, and it brings about shame and disgrace and conflict. So it seems like we're back to where we started. Now, one of the next stories that comes on the long in the Bible is the story of Abraham. And God calls this man Abraham out of where he was living, and he says, go to the land I'm going to show you. And he makes a promise to Abraham. And he says that Abraham is going to be the father of a great nation, and they're going to live, that nation's going to live in this land that Abraham's taking him. And that through God blessing and providing for Abraham and his family, they are going to be then, as a nation, a blessing to all the nations on the earth. In other words, it looks like God's plan of rescue is going to be to take a small group of people, in this case, Abraham, and his wife, and then their eventual descendants, and use them as a conduit of blessing for the whole world. Abraham, on his part, trusts in God's promise. Even at one point, he he's willing to offer his son, the son that God has promised to him, to God as a sacrifice, and God stops him and says, no, don't, don't do that, but I see your faith. And so he is trusting God on his part, and God is faithful to his promise, fulfills his promise. He keeps Abraham's son alive, and he begins this new family through Abraham's descendants. This is the way God's blessings intended to come to the world. But it doesn't take long for Abraham's family to fail. Abraham has a son named Isaac, Isaac Jacob, who later gets renamed Israel. And Israel has 12 sons. One of those sons is named Joseph. And, uh, and his brothers don't like him. Joseph is the favorite child of his father, Jacob slash Israel. And so they think about it and they say, we should just kill him outright. But instead they decide to sell him into slavery. So Joseph goes off to slavery in Egypt. But God, it's a rescuing God. He rescues Joseph. He gives him actually a position of authority in Egypt. And in this position of authority, he is able to save up all this grain, all this extra food, because God says a famine's coming. And so when the famine comes, Joseph's brothers in, uh, that live outside of Egypt say, hey, Egypt's got all this food, and they go, and God is able to rescue even Joseph's wicked brothers um, through Joseph. And so Joseph doesn't get back at his brothers. He says, you know what, this was God's plan to rescue this, you wanted to do evil, but God used your evil to bring about good, which was rescuing you and all the other people that are saved from this famine. And so, this family of Abraham's descendants 
they, they shelter in Egypt for a little while. It's all, all is good. And what does God do there? Well, God blesses this family, this new nation, this new people now, now being called Israel. And they become powerful. But their power becomes a threat to Pharaoh. Pharaoh doesn't like this at all. Uh, instead of thinking, hey, maybe I could be blessed through the Israelites. I see the way that God is blessing the Israelites. It could be a blessing for all of Egypt. He thinks that the presence of the Israelites there is a curse, is a threat. And so what he does is he enslaves them, and he starts even killing some of their babies. But again, we see God come to the rescue. He protects a little baby named Moses, and he saves Moses, and he eventually calls Moses to become a partner with him in freeing the Israelites from slavery. There's a story there. But basically, we see that God is using Moses to, to save Israel. And so what he does is he tells Moses, go say to the Egyptians, let my people go, send them out of slavery. And Pharaoh refuses. And so God sends a judgment against Egypt for all the evil. And he sends this in the form of these 10 plagues. And eventually, because of God's judgment against Egypt, Egypt lets Israel go free. And they go out into, this, into the wilderness, which is a barren land. And there, God provides their needs. He protects them from their enemies. He saves them in the wilderness. In the wilderness, he takes them to a place called Mount Sinai. And there, God enters into a relationship with his people, which the Bible calls a covenant. In fact, this word covenant is important. God has made a covenant to Noah when he promised Noah that he wouldn't flood the earth again. And he made a covenant with Abraham. And now he, here he makes then a covenant or he enters into this committed relationship with the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. And here's the terms of the agreement. He says, I'm going to bless you if you follow the commands that I give you. And he gives them these Ten Commandments. And then he elaborates those Ten Commandments into a book of laws and it defined how Israel was supposed to conduct itself. And so God set before Israel a choice. And it says, in Deuteronomy, I set setting before you now life and death. Life is to obey my commandments and do what I say and love me and love your neighbor. And if you do that, it'll be life. And God says, I, I myself am your life. But if you reject that, if you go your own way, if you serve other gods, then you're going to be destroyed and you're not going to be able to live in the land that I'm going to give you. And the people say, yes, 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 let, let's do this. And they solemnly promise before God and before Moses that they will follow God. Well, Israel's story is that they break that promise again and again and again. And so... We see a lot of this history in the Old Testament. In the history parts of the Old Testament, sometimes what we want to do is we, we think that like the way that many of our modern stories work is you tell a story and the main character is a good guy and you want to you want to be like the good guy and the main character in the story and so we moralize them and we say this is, this is how you should act and be like the good guy in the story. Well, this, if we take that approach towards the Bible, we can get a little mixed up. Because a lot of the good guys, or a lot of the main characters in the Bible, are not really good guys. And a lot of the good guys 
do plenty of bad things. So you can't just take a look at the things that people did in the Old Testament and, and in the Bible and say, oh, well, this was a good guy, so we should do what he did. And a lot of times what they were doing were contradictions to what God had told them to do in the law. So that's kind of what we get when we look at Israel's history in the Old Testament and books like Kings and Chronicles and uh, Judges. Oh, scary book. All right. We see in those books how God's people broke their covenant relationship, broke their promise to God. And we sort of see the story of Adam and Eve played out in different ways. The people of Israel build idols. They follow false gods. They kill each other. They oppress each other. They put each other into slavery. And yet, in all these stories, God keeps rescuing them from themselves and even from their enemies, from these other nations around them that they want to harm them. He raises up new leaders who save Israel and then who end up needing to be saved themselves. Now, one of the greatest of these leaders is a guy by the name of David. Now, like Abraham and the Israel before him and Noah, God makes a covenant or an agreement, a promise with David. God promises that the reign of David's house, that is his descendants, is never going to end. And in return, the kings of Israel are supposed to maintain justice and keep God's commands. So there's it's similar in a sense. Follow commands, follow my commands, and there's always going to be king uh, on, Dave, uh, on David's throne from David's family. Now, you should be able to figure out the pattern here at this point. You know how the story goes. There are a few good kings and a few bright spots in Israel's history, but it's primarily a story of failure. And the kings end up following other gods. They wage war indiscriminately. A lot of them are very bloodthirsty. Uh, one of the kings, it says, they filled the streets of Jerusalem with innocent blood. Um, Israel walks away from God, and God in turn walks away from Israel. And in fact, he actively judges them, and he sends these powerful nations around them, like Egypt, and like another nation called the Assyrians, and another nation called the Babylonians. And he sends them in to Jerusalem and to Judah and to the nation here to destroy the land and send the people into exile. That is, the people were taken away from their homeland. They lived in a foreign land. They lived under a foreign power. And the last part of the Old Testament um, is dominated with the writings of the prophets. And the prophets were people who spoke on behalf of God during Israel's history. And God sends them into Israel to try to prevent them from going the way of ruin and destruction. God says, look, you're choosing, I said, choose life or death, you're choosing death. And the prophets came in and said, stop going that way, choose life and obey God. And so they called off in Israel to remember God's commands, um, to have a soft heart towards, God work, towards God's word, to trust him, um, to act justly, to love mercy to remain faithful to their promise. And yet, the prophets foresaw, by God's inspiration, that Israel would not follow after God, and therefore Israel would be exiled. And some of the prophets were, wrote before the exile, and some wrote after the exile. But they saw this sort of ultimate destruction coming. But, the prophets are still actually pretty hopeful. They're not hopeful that people are going to change. 
They're not hopeful that Israel's going to change. Um, but they are hopeful that God, on his part, is going to be faithful to his promises. The promises he made to Noah, the promise he made to Abraham, the one he made to Moses and to Israel, the one he made to David. And even, uh, even though humanity as a whole, and Israel in particular, show they're not going to hold up their side of the bargain, God is nevertheless going to be faithful to his promises. And therefore, they were confident that God would be a rescuer. And all this difficulty, hard, challenging, sad, evil position that Israel was in, the prophet said, God is going to rescue. And so the question is, how is it that God saves his people? I said in the last episode that there was this promise of the descendant of Eve that's going to fulfill his promise, uh, God's promise to destroy the power of evil. There's going to be this descendant. But all the people that could maybe fit that bill, like Moses, like David, like Abraham, like some of the good kings, maybe a prophet, they couldn't do it. Um, they They could do good things sometimes, but in the end, many of them just end up giving in to evil and not overcoming evil. So the prophets knew that God was a rescuing God, and so they knew that God would come and save us, and they knew that what would have to happen is that God himself would have to come. In the Christian Old Testament, we see a lot of little stories of God's rescue, and all these knit together to a greater story of God's rescue. And yet, in the Old Testament anyway, it's still very open-ended. There are still many unanswered questions. So next we got to turn to the New Testament, and here things start to come together. God himself will come to rescue humanity, and it's going to be a descendant of Eve, that comes and crushes the head of evil, how's that going to work? It's going to come in the person of Jesus. And so it's that somewhat surprising story that we'll turn to in the next episode.